You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome on in to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're so glad that you're joining us again this week uh, for uh, what is uh, session six of the Blessed Assurance podcast series. And so if you're the uh, first time listening to us, uh, we've been in a series studying through First John, and we've titled that Blessed Assurance. And uh, we're going to be continuing in that today. And again, as I said, this will be session six of that podcast. Um, thank you for taking some time to download this podcast or listen via Facebook. Uh, we encourage you to go back and to listen to our other episodes. Uh, you'll find those um, on our Facebook uh, page. You will also find those available through the iTunes uh, podcast. You'll be able to find them through Stitcher and Google Podcast um, and really any Spotify, anywhere you, you download your podcast content. So again, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, we're glad that you're here and we hope uh, that you will get a lot out of our discussion today. And, um, you know, Dad, just like all the other sessions that we've been doing, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Oh, that's right. Um, you know, in our, our last uh, session, we talked about uh, being a child of God. Mm-hmm. And now uh, in today's uh, session, we're going to be talking about the interaction between the child of God and sin Okay, and yeah. uh, going into a little bit of detail about that. And so uh, for those of you who are following along in your Bible, we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 3, and we're going to be hitting verses uh, 4 through 10 in today's session. And so uh, I'll read those two uh, to you, and then we'll kind of jump into our topics and, and our talking points and kind of go through this. Uh, but again, First John chapter 3, uh, verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God." In this, children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And that's uh, verse 10 there, finishing up there. And so uh, that's where we're going to be hanging our hat today and uh, talking a little bit about this um, in, in more detail with you. And you know, as we discussed before, Dad, it's very important anytime that we're mm-hmm. looking at Scripture that we really have to think about the context in which uh, the verses were written. That's right? right. So we have to think about what was going on during that time and understand uh, what the writer was writing to specifically mm-hmm. um, during that time. And so the entire book of First John is is really an inspired uh, counter argument um, that was uh, inspired by God and written by John to clear up confusion that was entering the early church mm-hmm. by the way of false teachers. That's right. Um, and so in, in this particular section, we, we're finding that he's trying to clear up another one of those false mm-hmm. teaching or false doctrines right. or confusions that it came into the church. And, you know, this was very relevant to the early church, but just mm-hmm. as it was relevant to them, it's relevant just as well to us today right. and that we need to take a, a closer look at this. And I just want to draw our, our listeners' attention back to verse 7. 
where it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And so mm-hmm. that really gets to the crux, of, uh, at least I feel, of what the false teaching that was going on at that time was. Apparently the false teachers um, of John's day were promoting that sinning was, while being a Christian, was okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, that it was perfectly normal to sin and, and, and still be a Christian. Um, and they used uh, kind of this justification that, uh, well, that's the body doing the sinning, and that's just what the body does. And that doesn't involve the spiritual part of man. And so you can be a Christian, you can just keep on sinning away. Yeah. Now, <laughs> that uh, couldn't be farther from that's the truth. Right. And right. Uh, so in today's text, we see that John's inspired counterargument, I think, really hinges over one overarching point. And that is that there is an incompatibility between sin and the life of a Christian. That's right. Um, there's an incompatibility. It can't be there. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to go back and just kind of look at what the definition of incompatibility is. And uh, used our friend Webster's Dictionary to kind of look this up. And it says, uh, when you look up incompatibility, it says the condition of two things being so different in nature as to be incapable of coexisting. Oh, yeah. And so what John is saying here is that the nature of sin is so different from the nature of the Christian life that they're incompatible of coexisting. Mm -hmm. And I wholeheartedly agree with John. Sin Mm -hmm. and the Christian life is completely incompatible. Now, they don't mix. You know, Dad, we got to be careful here because this Mm -hmm. oftentimes causes a lot of confusion. It does. And has been a point of, uh, I guess, could we call it controversy uh, that sometimes gets um, out there um, because there are many uh, good-hearted Christian groups and, and faith groups that have taken this concept mm-hmm. and the verses of verses uh, 6 and verse 9 where, you know, verse 6, uh, it says, whosoever abides in him does not sin. And then if we look at verse uh, 9, it says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Mm-hmm. And they take that and they push forward this kind of doctrine of sinless perfection, mm-hmm. right? And they right. and they say that you know, um, as a Christian, Christians uh, don't sin or they're they're incapable of sinning. But that's not what actually is is being said here. And you know, the other thing that oftentimes happen is uh, naysayers, biblical naysayers. Mm-hmm. They like to point to to these verses as kind of being a contradiction in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, because earlier in, in, in John we saw where uh, he says, if you say you have no sin, then you're a liar, right? You know? And the, and the truth is not in you. And so they point to that. We actually had had one of our, uh, we'll call them our Canadian hecklers uh, on our Facebook page when we ran the Canadian ad, uh, actually pointed this out specifically and Mm -hmm. was basically trying to say, see, this book is just a bunch of fallacies because this was just one error uh, that was in the Bible. But again, this is not what John was trying to say at all in this passage. As That's I said, right. we studied in 1 John 1, 8, that if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm. The sin that's referenced in our, in our text today is really about um, not just singular acts of sin, but it's the practice of sin or mm-hmm. habitual sin or, or living a sinful life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you had some some information on this particular uh, part of scripture and maybe some of the translations, how they differ. Could you share that with the listeners? Well, that's right, Matt, to uh, to get the right interpretation of these verses of scripture. As you said, you have to go back to the Greek text from which these verses were translated from. Now, the way the King James Version reads, it sounds as, like you said, it's impossible for a Christian to ever sin. But when the King James Version was translated in 1611, there was not a clear distinction made in the verb tenses. 
which is so crucial in interpreting this passage of Scripture. The New American Standard Bible gives a more accurate translation. In verse 9, the New American Standard Bible reads, No one who is born of God practices sin. And so don't you get the difference here? John is not saying that you may not commit sin, an isolated act of sin. He is saying that if you are born of God, it is not the habit or the pattern or the practice of your life to go on sinning. You may occasionally sin, but you will habitually want to do what is right. The Christian is got the pattern of living for God and serving Him, and he doesn't practice sin. So taking that uh, information in mind, so we're going to return back to John's counter argument, which is that sin or the practice of sin is not compatible with the with the Christian life. It's mm-hmm. it's incompatible. It is uh, with yeah. that. And uh, Dad, I, I saw where John uh, basically in his counter argument he listed you know several supporting elements. Uh-huh. Um, I've got kind of five listed here. So first was the point of sin. Uh, mm-hmm. Second was the purveyor of sin. Yeah. Third being the purpose of Christ. Uh-huh. Uh, fourth, the power of salvation. And then lastly, the practice of the child of God or uh, practice of the saints. And mm-hmm. so we're going to kind of dive into each one of these okay. uh, points here and kind of walk through this. And as um, John is kind of laying out uh, almost a, like a, a, an attorney would uh, defend a, a client, and this is his case that he's making here. And so mm-hmm. the first one that we come to is the point of, of sin. And uh, the Bible gives us multiple definitions. There's many definitions of what sin is. Uh, but in 1 John 3, 4, John offers uh, probably one of the most brief and yet powerful definitions of what sin is. And, and mm-hmm. it basically just says right here, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Yeah. And sin is lawlessness. So uh, that that definition there is actually probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, definitions of, of sin is this lawlessness. Um mm-hmm. And you see that sin means that we step over a boundary line. We violate uh, God's command um, right. that he's given us. Um, mm-hmm. So the point of sin is to rebel against God. Right. It's spiritual right. anarchy. You know, Dad, we've been hearing a lot in uh, our media uh, these days about anarchy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're seeing lawlessness and anarchy play out in front of us on our television screens. And, and really, uh, that, that's what spiritual... Uh, anarchy and spiritual lawlessness is is a close parallel to what we're seeing play out in front of us uh-huh. uh, there on, on on our nightly news. Matt, you were talking about sin being lawlessness and about how it is it's just breaking God's laws is intentionally doing something against what God would have you to do. Sin at its very heart is rebellion. Sin is basically a matter of the will. It is defiance. For us to assert our will against God's will is rebellion, and rebellion, as I said, is the root of sin. Give you a little illustration. Little Judy, she was riding in the car with her father one day. She decided to stand up in the front seat. Her father commanded her to sit down and put on her seatbelt, but she declined. He told her a second time, but she refused. Dad finally said, if you don't sit down immediately, I'll pull over on the side of the road and spank you. At this, the little girl obeyed. But in a few minutes, she said quietly, Daddy, I'm still standing up inside. (laughs) Lawlessness, rebellion. Even though there was restraint on the outside, there was rebellion on the inside. You know, I want to kind of sum up a little bit about the point of sin to say several things about what sin is. 
Now, we know it's lawlessness, but think about it this way, too. Sin is the reason that the world is in such a mess today. Mm, yeah. It is the reason our jails are full right now. It is the reason why God sent Jesus and, and so many reject Jesus today. It is the only thing that God hates and the devil loves. It is the reason hell was created. It caused the fall of man. It is mankind's greatest problem. Uh, that's sin. That, that is sin, Dad. And so uh, we, we talk about sin as lawlessness, or John says sin is lawlessness, it's rebellion against God. And, and so that's the point of sin. Um, but we know from our previous studies that those who know Jesus and have a real relationship with God keep his commands. That was First John uh, 2, verses 3 that we looked right. at a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And if we look at verse 6, it says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really feel like here's John's counter argument um, is that, um, after a person has become a child of God and born again by faith in Jesus Christ, they cannot practice lawlessness because it's incompatible uh, with their new life. That's right. And so uh, that's the point of sin uh, uh, and that argument. And I see the next point that John makes is his supporting argument is about the purveyor of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we look at verse 8 uh, there, it says, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Yeah. Now that's pretty clear. There, the purveyor of sin is the devil himself. The devil himself. And that's you, right. you know, notice that it says uh, that those who practice sins are of the devil. Mm-hmm. That is to say that they are children of the devil, and we see that reference down in verse ten mm-hmm. uh, below. And so last week we learned, though, that those who abide in Christ are actually bestowed as children of God. Right. So the point I see that John's trying to make here is that it's really impossible for us to be a child of God and a child of the devil at the same time. It's, right. It's incompatible with our family tree. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned about the purveyor of sin, old Satan. Uh, a purveyor is someone who spreads or promotes an idea. Satan He instigates sin and rebellion, and he tempts believers. Now, some out in our podcast audience may not know it, but sin did not originate on earth. It began in heaven, having its source not in Adam and Eve, our first earth parents, but in the heart of Satan. Satan was one of the highest angels, the anointed cherub. He was called Lucifer, son of morning. That's what it means. Being an angel of presence next to God, he started to desire the glory and the praise that was given to God. Well, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us over in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, some things about those early days when sin came into the world. You see, standing there at the throne of God, being an angel of presence, one of the anointed cherubs that covered God, He got envious of God, and he desired to be on the throne in the place of God. Isaiah chapter 14, the Bible goes on to tell us these things about Satan. It says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was what Satan was saying. He then led a rebellion among the angels in heaven. 
And as a result, Satan was cast out of heaven along with one-third of God's holy angels that became demons. As a matter of fact, verse 12, the verse just ahead of those verses I read to you a moment ago, it says of Satan, How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? Satan fell. He took the the angels with him, about a third of the angels with him. Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan is seen as a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth in Revelation 9, 1. When he fell, Revelation 12, 4 tells us about one third of the stars that were cast out with him. The stars refer to the fallen angels. All of this seems to have happened after the sixth day of creation when God created man. Having been kicked out of heaven, Satan went right to work to get the first man and first woman to rebel against God. He led his rebellion in heaven, but now he's about to lead a rebellion on earth through Adam and Eve and create a mess on earth and try to destroy God's work. After God created Adam, he told Adam about all the trees that were in the Garden of Eden that he could enjoy. But he warned Adam about eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, if you eat that tree, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. That tree, so to speak, Matt, was that no trespassing sign. It had a sort of a no trespassing sign in front of it put there by God. Don't touch this. Satan tempted Eve to disobey God. He tempted Eve to disobey that sign, no trespassing. And he called Eve to question what God said. It it just came about a mess. Eve reached out for that which Satan offered her in disobedience to God. And after she partook of that forbidden fruit, Adam, her husband, he was the federal head over the woman and, and the human race. He was supposed to be her protector. He partook of that fruit too, and humanity was plunged into sin. You know, it's interesting, Matt, that they realized they were naked after they sinned. You know why they were naked? Because they lost their covering, the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Their eyes became open to the fact that they were naked. Ashamed, they attempted to make a covering for themselves by sewing fig leaves together. As you can see, sin is an import to our world introduced to our planet by an alien intelligence, the devil himself. Sin is the devil's graft in the human soul. And as you said, the Bible says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now all men sin. Yes, all men sin. Um, All men have sin. We saw that again in 1 John. And so uh, here, though, in this section, we know that the purveyor of sin is the devil. And as Dad uh, just kind of said there, uh, sin and the devil and the purveyor of, the, of sin have created a mess. And that really speaks to to we needed something to clean that mess up. And right. um, so John presents then as his next uh, argument in this that there was the purpose of Christ. Right. Um, and John shares that there was a two-point uh, purpose of Christ uh, coming uh, to our earth. And we see uh, the first uh, here in verse 5. So let's look at at verse 5 together, and it says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And so 
Um, you know, John said that Jesus came to take away our sins. John the Baptist put it this way, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And, you know, Dad, in that second part of the verse, it says that uh, in him there was no sin, Mm -hmm. right? So Jesus came to earth as the long-awaited Messiah, and I really want to push that, that, you know, we may have some listeners out there that are Jewish or uh, from a different belief system, and they they know Jesus, but they don't understand that he is the Messiah. That's right. And uh, and, uh, Jesus is... Is the long-awaited Messiah that came to be the perfect sacrifice for sin, and you know, Dad, we talked about sinless perfection and that doctrine, and how uh, that—that's kind of a false teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but sinless perfection is exactly what Jesus was, mm-hmm. and He's the only person that's ever lived that can have that designation as sinless perfection. Right. You know, Matt, I want to pick up on something that you just said a while ago about Jesus coming to this world to take away or carry away our sin and and kind of relate it to maybe uh, any Jewish audience out there that we have uh, to this podcast. To better understand the work of Christ in dealing with sin and and carrying away our sin, we could turn back to the Old Testament book of, of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 16, we're told that two lambs were brought to the high priest. The first lamb was for the sin offering. This lamb was was offered to deal with the sin question. The second lamb was known as the scapegoat. And over that animal was confessed the sins of all the people. The scapegoat that had the sins of all the people on it was then carried out into a wilderness place to stay away from the people forever. Well, you know, dear friends, isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus appeared on earth to take away our sin, to lift them off of us, and to carry those sins and all the guilt that comes with it away forever and ever more. If you've been forgiven, if you've been born into God's family through accepting Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your Christ, then Jesus has removed your sins. And not only did Jesus appear to remove our sins, but he has appeared to do something even greater. And we'll talk about that coming up pretty soon in verse 8. That's right. And so, uh, you know, Jesus came and he uh, lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he laid down his life. He laid it down for me, Dad. He laid it down for you, and he mm-hmm. laid it down for all of our listeners. Right. Um, again, as that perfect sacrifice for sin, fully paying the sin debt for the entire world, both mm-hmm. those who came before him and those that would come after him. Right. He paid it all, and uh, he took our place. Um, and and those who now can place faith and our trust in him and the work that he did on the cross and turn from our wicked ways, as we saw in 1 John uh, 1, 9, mm-hmm. he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and right. cleanse us of, of our sins. And yeah. so uh, that's the first point, the the reason or the purpose that Jesus came um, was to be the long-awaited Messiah, to live a perfect life and to take away the sins of this world. Mm-hmm. And as you just referenced, Dad, the, the second point we see in verse 8, it says, he who sins... Uh, is of the devil, for the devil was sinned from the beginning. And then the second part that really gets to what we want to talk about here, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Mm -hmm. And did you catch that? Jesus came uh, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Mm -hmm. John accepted the reality that there was a personal devil. Mm -hmm. Uh, This enemy has given uh, different names throughout the the scripture. Sometimes we see it referred to as Satan. Sometimes we see him referred to as the devil or the prince of this world or the dragon Mm -hmm. and so forth. But whatever name you call him, keep in mind that the chief activity or his chief activity is to oppose Christ and oppose God's people. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, the devil and his uh, fallen angels that you were talking about there, Dad, the, the ones we refer to as demons, traverse this earth uh, working to spread lies mm-hmm. and to deceive and, and snare people in the evil trap of a sinful, or as John would say, a lawless life. Right. First uh, Peter uh, 5, 8 puts it this way. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Mm, yeah. But remember, John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the de- the devil. Mm-hmm. The term destroy, John used uh, here, it, it doesn't mean to annihilate. Uh, you see, Satan is certainly still at work today. Uh, the, the term destroyed that was used means to render inoperative or to, to rob power. Uh, Satan has not been annihilated at this point, but his power has been reduced and his mm-hmm. weapons have been impaired. And he is still a mighty foe that we need to be mindful of, but he has no power and no match compared to the power of God. That's right, Matt. Over in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23, Jesus compared this world to a palace that contains many valuable goods. A strong man is guarding this palace. Satan is the strong man, and his goods are lost men and women. The only way to release the goods is to bind the strong man. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, in coming to this earth, invaded Satan's palace. When he died, he broke Satan's power and captured his goods. Every time a lost sinner is won to Christ, more of Satan's spoils are taken from him. I tell you what, Matt, I'm glad that I don't belong to Satan anymore. He was a cruel master. One day, we will see the last of Satan. In Revelation, John gives detail after detail of the approaching end-time events that will overthrow the last visages of Satan's evil works. You know, so as a true child of God that abides in Christ, the one who had no sin, as we've already talked about, and in doing so is cleansed uh, of his past sins uh, and has, through the power of Christ, the ability to have victory over their sins in the present life and in the future, um, that's the purpose of, of Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. came to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil, as we just talked about. And so I see John here saying again that the life of sin, a life of sin, is incompatible with the Christian life because of the finished work of Calvary that's right. uh, that, that Jesus um, did. And, you know, Dad, this kind of leads into a, a, a topic that goes hand in hand with this. So you can't talk about the finished work of Calvary without talking about the power of salvation, mm-hmm. right? And and so that's our next point that I wanted us to, to kind of talk through. And if we look at verse 9, uh, we see uh, the power of salvation really coming through here. It says, uh, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he mm-hmm. cannot sin because he has been born of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the child of God does not practice sin. Why, you may ask? Well, if we read here, it says that um, uh, he cannot sin, for his seed remains in him. That's because we have a new nature with, within us. Right. Um, and that new nature that we have, John refers to as God's seed. You know, when a dad, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, there's some tremendous uh, spiritual changes that take place in him. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I see there's three things that happen that we typically talk about. One, um, a, a Christian is or a, a person is given um, a new standing before God mm-hmm. that is being uh, uh, accepted as righteous in God's sight. Right. That's what we call justification, and it never changes and it can never be lost. Mm-hmm. The second thing that happens is that 
a, uh, a person is given a new position. He is set apart uh, for God's own purposes to live uh, for his glory. That's what we call sanctification. And it has a, a potential to kind of uh, change or shift because there's sometimes that we're closer uh, to Christ and we obey him more readily than others. And then the last uh, that we see here, and this is perhaps the most dramatic uh, change that occurs, is that we are born again. And when we're born again, we're born into God's family. We're a child of God, as we talked about last week. Right. And uh, with that comes a new nature, and that's what we call regeneration. Now, you may be confused at this point because uh, you're wondering, well, you know, if I'm a Christian and I have a new nature, then why am I still struggling with sin and temptation? Right. I mean, again, we're not saying that Christians don't sin. Uh, mm-hmm. Sin is something that that can still happen in a Christian life because we don't believe in this sinless perfection. Right. Is only yeah. Jesus fulfilled that? Well, herein lies the problem. Uh, when a Christian uh, become or when a person becomes a Christian, they get this new nature from their spiritual birth. But the old nature from their physical birth is still present. Mm-hmm. And the old nature is what produces sin. But the new nature produces a holy life. Mm-hmm. So it's our responsibility as Christians to live according to our new nature, not the old one. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad, in preparing for what we're going to be talking about today, I ran across an illustration uh, that, that uh, is very simple, but I feel like it just explains it so well. And mm-hmm. uh, the story is told of a Native American who was newly converted, and this Native American was trying to explain this very concept Uh, to others around him. And the way that he explained it was this. It says, I have two dogs living in me, Mm -hmm. a mean dog and a good dog. Yeah, They are always fighting. The mean dog wants me to do bad things, and the good dog wants me to do good things. And then he asked the people he was speaking to, do you want to know which dog wins? And his response was, the one I feed the most. Yeah. And so Christians who feed the new nature will have the power to live by it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. And the Holy Spirit is that new nature that's in us. That is the seed. That's what it's talking about, the seed there. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, His seed, God's seed, the Holy Spirit comes in. And what I like about it, it says His seed remains in Him. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. He's always there. i tell you, Matt, when a Christian sins, immediately he grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leave, lives in him. He grieves the Holy Spirit. And and he loses his joy. The most unhappy people I've ever met in, in my life have been Christians that have gotten away from God and have sinned and lost their joy. Yeah. And, and you know, I saw one of our, our commentators uh, wrote it this way, <laughs> is that it's impossible to sin and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, once you, you've become a Christian and, and you have that spirit living in you, the moment when you have a sin enter your life, man, it wrecks you. Um, right. It hurts you. It cuts you to the quick um, because um, you know uh, the price that was paid for you and, right. and, and what Jesus did for you and that work of Calvary. And it just hurts uh, so much to know that. And as I was thinking about that, Dad, I ran across a song um, back from the, from the 90s, and it just came to mind. And I want to share just the uh, lyrics from the chorus here. It says, does he still feel the nails every time I fell? Does he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change because I just can't bear the thoughts 
of hurting him. And, you know, I feel like that characterizes me and it should characterize every Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, When sin comes into your life, uh, think about, uh, go back to that moment where Jesus paid uh, the price for your, your, your life and paid Uh that sin debt. And uh, man, anytime I slip up and, and, and and do something that I'm not supposed to, that be characterizing sin, it just hurts me because I think of how it hurt him. And, and does he still feel those nails every time I do something wrong like that? And you think, too, about has this sin that I committed, you know, did it add to the weight of the sin that Jesus was carrying? It did. And we don't want to add to that weight. Of course, he's already carried sin for us and paid the penalty for our sins and died. But just to think that he saw my sin in the future, uh, I want to have less and less and less. I don't want to sin at all. I want to serve him. You know, that are, that's, that's really the goal and the direction of a Christian's life is to serve God and to live for him. Sometimes we might slip up when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Remember, uh, Jesus came to the disciples when they were out in the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm was going up, and, and Peter wanted to walk to him. And Peter was walking on water just like Jesus until he took his eyes off of Jesus, and then he sank. And that's what happens to us when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We sin. Thank God Jesus helped him up. But, you know, our goal should not be to sin. Our goal should be to serve God. And we've got a new desire and a, and a new dynamic in us when we have when we have Jesus in our heart. He gives us a desire to live for Him, and that dynamic's the Holy Spirit that enables us to live for Him. That's right. And so that new desire, that new dynamic, or that seed, John, I believe, is here saying that uh, that is incompatible. Uh, a life of sin is incompatible with that new nature, with that new uh, that new uh, design, that new desire, that new dynamic. Um, all of those things that we use to describe it, it's incompatible. You can't you can't keep sinning and, and practice a life of sin when you have that truly uh, right. inside of you. You know, Dad, and that brings us really to uh, kind of our last point here, and that's the practice of a child of God. And so I want us to, to look um, again uh, verse 7, and then we'll drop down to verse 10, and that will kind of finish up our scripture for today. Um, again, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Uh, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And then drop down to, to verse 10 there. It says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. And so, you know, from this we see um, kind of uh, two points and then kind of a third that I think can summarize everything for us. And so one, um, a child of God is going to practice righteousness. And we talked Mm -hmm. about that even in our our last couple podcasts. Those who abide in Christ are going to uh, practice righteousness and they're going to uh, make it a habit to do things that are honoring and pleasing to God. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, occasionally they may slip up and make a mistake, but that's not going to be um, what they're known for, right? right. They're going to be known for doing what, what is right. And so um, righteousness, practicing that righteousness is going to be something that a child of God is going to do. And then the second there, which we know John is very big on, and that's love. Um, Christians should be defined um, as a person who loves. And John says here, loves their brother, which is uh, most likely referring to brothers in, in mm-hmm. Christ. Um, but, you know, God was, uh, or Jesus was very big on, uh, we don't just love those who are, are in us and around us uh, in a Christian sense, but we should love everybody. Love 
our enemies too. Love our enemies too. Doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, mm-hmm. what color they are, uh, what nationality they they are, um, what their belief system is. We are supposed to first and foremost love them, right? Um, and that is what we're called to do as Christians. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, uh, which is again kind of the overarching uh, theme here, is that John's saying that you can't sin. Uh, so Christians and and, and and those who are a child, a true child of God, they're not going to practice sin. That's right. That's right. Well, I want to give a little illustration here before we go out the door about kind of what we're talking about. I want you to think about a pro athlete. He occasionally misses a block, but that's not the rule. It's the exception to the rule. In relation to the child of God, sin in the life of the Christian is the exception. It's not the rule because the Christian gives his life to righteousness that lives for God. We're ready to sign off, Matt. Well, right before we do, I do want to just, uh, in kind of closing, we I don't think we can do this section of Scripture without uh, kind of having some questions that people need to, to be thinking about. So if you know if you are, are listening to our podcast and uh, you are uh, a professing Christian, uh, this is a, a good set of Scripture to kind of take an inventory of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Are you practicing uh, sin and still saying that you're a Christian. Obviously, John says that that's not possible. That's right. And so if you find yourself in this pattern of habitual sin, then uh, the problem may be that you were never really saved to begin with. Right. And that's something that you need to to be looking out for and that you need to be thinking and trying to get right with God. Um, the second thing that I would say is for those who are listening that, again, are um, new to this whole uh, church, uh, Bible study, God thing, we'll call it that, mm-hmm. uh, for these folks, um, think about their. They need to think about their life, and are they practicing um, a life of lawlessness? Is their life defined by by lawlessness and mm-hmm. and sin? And if that's the case, I give them an invitation to come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ came to this world to be the perfect Messiah. He came to be the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He came uh, two thousand years ago. He died on a cross. He shed his blood for our sins. Mm-hmm. And um, as we've covered in our podcast before, it's a fairly simple uh, process to place your faith in Jesus and. And the work that he did on Calvary to confess the sin that's in your life and to turn away from it. And then once that happens, uh, it, it says right here in First John, as we've already talked about, he is faithful to forgive us mm-hmm. and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So right. for any of our listeners there that uh, want to know more about that, I encourage them to reach out to us okay. uh, so that we can talk about them a little bit more. But um, that's all we got for this uh, episode. Uh, Dad, I enjoy it. Thanks for yeah, uh, doing it. I um, it too. Dad, will you pray us out of here? Sure. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to have this opportunity to talk to our podcast audience today about the important matter of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you know our hearts. When you saved us, you gave us uh, a new desire, a desire to serve you out of gratitude for what you did for us and how you showed your love for us to take away our sin and make it possible for us to go to heaven and live with you for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for that that new, clean, white feeling that we have when Jesus has washed away our sins. And Lord, our desire is your children. We want to keep serving you. Lord, when we do sin sometimes, when our eyes have been taken off of you and, and we fall like Peter did in the water, we pray, O oh God, that we'll remember that we can confess and ask you to forgive us. You will. And help us get right back up and start serving you again. For those in our podcast audience that have not trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, show them that it is of utmost importance to turn from their sin the very thing that that caused Jesus to go to the cross to make it possible for 
all of us to be forgiven, to turn from that sin, to receive Him as the Savior, the only hope of salvation, and to trust Him as the Lord of their life, the one they're going to live for. So God, I pray that there'll be those that will pray today, ask you for all that forgiveness, and ask you, Lord, to come and live in their hearts through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.